listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, Episode 160. Today, mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with former NFL player Tank Williams to discuss how his entire football career and now his entrepreneurial journey are built on the concept of controlling the controllables. He emphasizes that no goal is achieved nor obstacle overcome without mindset. When you marry physical, mental, and emotional preparation, you will be prepared for anything. Tank believes that luck happens when preparation meets opportunity. Tune in to how this quiet warrior prepared for the game of football and life. Are you ready to raise your game? 2021 is the year to increase your performance on and off the field. The Athlete's Edge Journal was designed to cultivate self-confidence and mental resilience through the power of sports psychology. Whether you are a professional athlete, a former college athlete, or have aspirations of greatness in the future, this journal is for you. Visit winthementalgame.com and use the promo code GRANTPAR20 to receive a 20% discount at checkout. Act now to take your mental game to the next level. What would more wins, higher productivity, or quicker recovery mean for you? NeuroPeak Pro optimizes human performance by working to promote balance within the autonomic nervous system. Used by the world's elite athletes, this training program is now available to you at home. Cutting-edge neuroscience and technology allows you to strengthen your brain remotely anytime, anywhere. Schedule your evaluation and get started with your brain training today. Visit NeuroPeak Pro and receive a 10% discount by using the promo code GRANTPAR. Hey, Tank, how are you? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. Thanks for having me on today. You bet, man. It's, uh, it's an honor to have you on the show. It's I always say this when I have former football players or current football players, it's always cool to have you on the show to talk shop considering I played football, uh, not as long as you did, but, um, but, but playing at the collegiate level, um, it's just always cool to bring people on to understand your mindset, um, as an athlete, how it helped you through your collegiate and professional career and how it actually allowed you to actually transition a sport and be the entrepreneur that you are today. Yeah. Cool. So let's get into it. Talk about mental toughness. I can only imagine, and I've and I remember watching you back in the day when you were playing for Stanford, um, and started as a freshman, mm -hmm. uh, which takes a lot of mental fortitude. But um, witnessed a lot of moments where you had to be mentally tough. So when you think about mental toughness, what does that mean to you? Uh, for me, uh, mental toughness is learning how to deal with adversity. Uh, I believe as we've learned in life, no matter who you are, is that things aren't always going to go your way. And it's how you deal with that adversity that is the true testament of the person that you end up becoming. And so for me, speaking to my Stanford experience, you know, I, I actually was the last guy to receive a scholarship in my recruiting class. So out of like the 20 something people, I had many people they brought in my recruiting class. I was a last one, actually someone decided to decommit, go to Notre Dame. And then I ended up getting that scholarship after the fact. And so being the last guy coming in and actually earning a, 
a spot to actually play my true freshman year. That's just kind of one example of how, you know, I kind of turn adversity into my favor where, you know, you seem like you're overlooked and that you may not have a chance. And so you say, hey, they're not expecting that much from me. I'm going to just go out there and work each and every day, try to put my best foot forward and then see what happens. And fortunately enough for me, uh, I was able to play a significant role of my true freshman year at Stanford. Yeah, absolutely. And and throughout your year at Stanford um, or years at Stanford, man, you were you were a mainstay on the on the defense. And and I know you talked about that particular moment, um, especially when you started your your collegiate career. But when you reflect on your whole collegiate career and your professional career, can you share a specific time with my listeners where you had to be mentally tough, whether if it was a crucial fourth down or a certain game or a conversation you had with a coach or, or an opponent, like was there a specific moment where you had to be mentally tough? I think for me, it was the first time I hurt my knee. I had a significant ACL tear. So when I was in high school, I wasn't really heavily recruited because I had injuries with my back where I would be able to play like the first half of uh, my senior year high school games. And then like the second half, a lot of times I couldn't play because my back would just kind of lock up on me. And so when it came down to it, like my only scholarship offers were Stanford and Central Florida, I ended up choosing Stanford and then, you know, played all four years and got drafted to the NFL. And I never really had to deal with any injuries, you know, from that point moving forward. And so my third year in the league, I had a significant knee injury where I tore my ACL and that was my first time feeling where, you know, I wasn't invincible. Mm. And so, you know, having that mindset, one, where you have to battle back from an injury and not knowing how your body's going to respond, not knowing how you're going to mentally respond. And those are just things that you can control. And yet at the same time, is the team going to try to draft someone to take my place? And so there's all these other things that swirl around, but I think you just come to the mindset that you can only control what you can control. And so for me, that was one, just trying to work each and every day in the training room uh, to make sure that my knee was as healthy as possible once I was able to come back that following season, uh, try to stay up on the film, and at the same time, try to make sure that I was mentally prepared to handle anything that may come about, whether it's like my knee swelling up in practice, understanding that I'm going to have to deal with some of those little flare-ups here and there, but that's not going to deter me from my ultimate goal. And so I think it was just having that mentality that there's going to be adversity that comes in waves. And it's how you deal with that mentally and kind of push through whether it's a little bit of pain, a little bit of swelling, a little bit of outside forces that you may not be able to handle, whether it's through the organization or the coaches and just try to make sure that you put your best foot forward and handle what you can handle and then let the chips fall where they may. And for me, I was able to kind of bounce back, get healthy, and then, you know, recapture my starting role that uh, following year. You know, I love that you bring up injury. Um, and I and I say this because I got into what I do now as a mental performance coach because I dealt with a career-ending injury in college. I, I've had two hip replacements on the same mm -hmm. hip. And... And so one of my biggest motivators of doing this type of work is to work with injured athletes. And so I know firsthand, not only with myself, but working with tons of other athletes at all levels, all the different emotions that you have to deal with on the front end of your injury, especially ACL, then you have to deal with all the emotions during rehab. And then after when you're, when you're quote unquote, your body is, is ready to go, but is it right? And then you have to deal with those, those ailing things that come up like swelling, um, how did you deal with all the different levels of your rehab emotionally? How did you deal with it? 
I think what was helpful for me is that I had a really good support system in place. You know, my family supported me through thick and thin. And so that was definitely helpful. But then at the same time, I think, you know, it just comes back to how you've dealt with adversity in the past. Like I said, I've had this experience in high school where it was coming to like a back injury. Um, you know, I've had adversity in various points of my life and you know it may not always be applicable to the football field but at the same time you learn that things may not always go your way and that is how you respond and so I think just having that ingrained in me from such a young age it was just something I was always able to fall back on like this is just what we do like there are going to be hard times that come into your life not like everything is not going to be perfect but how are you going to respond like no one's just going to give you something you have to go out there and take it and so when it came to my knee injury, it's not like you can go out there and take your job back, but I can go out there and attack my rehab and take my health back and make sure I'm putting myself in the best position to come back healthy and strong as ever. So it's always like a way, I think, to kind of flip something in your head mentally that allows you to just kind of persevere through the pain, persevere through the fear. Because I mean, there is a lot of that when you deal with those significant injuries. And so it's any way that you can do to try to motivate yourself to come out that next day a little bit stronger, a little bit, you know, bouncier with your with your, right. your, knee, your joints, whatever it is, just to try to come out a little bit healthier that next day and just keep stacking days on top of days and just understand it's not gonna all happen at once. And I think when you take that approach, it sets you up for success. You know, you've competed at the highest level. And, and so throughout the different levels of your career, you know, obviously, you have a certain mindset. How would you describe your mindset as an athlete? And when you got to the NFL, how much did your mindset change? Or did it stay the same? Uh, there's definitely an evolution. Um, you know, it's one of those things like a lot of people play sports in high school, and you always have doubts about like how you can play at the next level. Like when you go to play ball in college, you're like the best guy on your high school team. And then you go to college and then you try to sort yourself out and see where you fit <laughs> on your team. Right. And then after I got drafted uh, from Stanford to the NFL, it's like, all right, like I'm the small kid from like a small town in Mississippi. Like I got the last scholarship to Stanford, like somehow, some way I got drafted second round to Tennessee when there's a lot of other guys who had more name recognition than me coming out of college. And so like, how am I going to sell myself out in the NFL? And it's one of those things where it's always easy to doubt whether you belong, whether it's at work, whether it's like, you know, a corporate job or whether it's, you know, a student in class or whether you're playing in the NFL college, whatever it may be. But then I think the preparation was the key, just making sure I worked as hard as possible to make sure I knew my place so I wouldn't make any mental mistakes. I trained my tail off leading up to training camp to make sure I was in the best condition as possible. And then you just try to go out there and you execute. And I, I mean, it sounds really simple, but you know, one thing that I always kind of prided myself on, whether it was sports related or in business is like, luck happens when preparation meets opportunity. And so as long as I put all those things together, hopefully like they mesh at the right time and good things happen. And uh, fortunate enough for me, uh, those things happen more than not throughout the early parts of my career. You know, you talked about uh, fitting in and cause I, I know this, you know, being an athlete and working with athletes, you know, the environment is, is important when you're in a healthy environment or you, you, you feel safe when you become into a, a new team and coming from Mississippi to California, you know, when 17, 18 years old, um, being the last, having the, being the last scholarship on your team, 
did that put a chip on your shoulder? Did that, did that play around at all with your mindset? And then also when you went to the NFL, you were drafted number you're in the second round, which is amazing, right? So did you feel this, this pressure when you were going to the NFL, like the pressure going into Stanford? Did you feel that pressure and did, how did you deal with it? I think uh, just speaking about it from the college aspect, um, when I got there, knowing that I was the last scholarship offer of my class and that there were all these other guys who signed with Stanford like months before they even thought about me, like I felt like there was no pressure. Uh, and then at the same time, once I got there and I started making plays early on in the process and I had a feeling that I can play, I was like, well, you know, it's not about where you start, it's where you finish. And I felt I belong. And then mm -hmm. when I spin it forward to the NFL, like whenever you get drafted in like the first few rounds, there's going to be automatic pressure on you because if someone's investing that high of a draft pick in you, they're expecting you to be able to perform immediately. Yet at the same time, I mean, there are guys who have been there before me and that almost like felt like they deserved to play before I did, even though I was a second round pick. And unfortunately for me, I pulled my hamstring early in training camp. Wow. But the crazy thing is that, you know, it was one of those things too, where I just told myself I'm going to control what I can control. I wasn't able to participate on the practice field, but like I stayed in the books in my playbook, stayed on top of things and meetings. And so I actually was able to play the last preseason game, play well then, and then start every game from the first game moving forward my uh, rookie year. And so that was one of those things where a lot of carryover from things that may have happened to me in the past carried over to my NFL career where I'm like, all right, I may not be able to, you know, function on the field, but I'm going to be as mentally prepared as possible. So when that opportunity presents itself, I'll be able to take advantage. And then that was one situation where, you know, even though I felt like there may have been a lot of pressure on me, I didn't really let it get to me too much. I just controlled what I could. And then I just let my play speak for itself. You know, as we, as we talk about pressure and preparation, uh, and I know this for, for top, top athletes that come out of the college ranks um, that go into the combine. I mean, just, just let alone the combine itself has a ton of pressure and I've seen it cripple people because they put so much into it. And I get it. It's the stage. It's the door that opens up your career. When you were going through the combine, like how did you, what was your mindset? Like, what was your preparation? Like, and when you're there being evaluated, how did you deal with that? Or did you just trust yourself and, and just go? You know, it's funny because I feel like I'm a sound like, you know, like I'm beating the same drum. Uh, I was actually like, you know, helping to mentor this guy who's preparing for the NFL draft. Uh, this year and we were speaking about the combine and I told him it was one of those things where I went into the combine knowing that I worked my ass off and that I was going to put my best foot forward and so you know a lot of people like they get ready to run a 40-yard dash and there's like they're kind of apprehensive because there's like every GM head coach and all these assistant coaches watching you but like I knew all the hard work I put in so man I pulled off my shirt I mean I felt like I was in the best shape that I'd ever been in my <laughs> life and I hopped up and I was weighing 230 pounds and then I ran like a low 4-4 actually had like a 4-3-8 on the stopwatch and so when you kind of push that time in it's like yeah like I came here to, you know, show that I'm sure. worthy. And so I think that was probably one of the first things that really put me on the map. Like I was actually surprised that I got drafted in the second round, but I really do believe um, along with the, the play that I put on tape my four years at Stanford, it was really like showing how hard I was willing to work and how much I improved my speed, footwork and everything else between the end of my season 
up to draft day to show that, you know, you may have seen some good stuff on tape, but when it comes to me in actuality, like I'm going to continue to work hard and the sky's going to be the limit. Yeah. And you, and you talk about all, like you worked your ass off and you put all that work in. Take me to the night when you got drafted in the second round. You know, you've been playing this game for years. You put in all this sweat and tears and you're, I mean, you've grinded it out. What was that moment like? Man, it was an amazing feeling. Uh, actually, my parents had like all my family uh, get together at my parents' house and my sister lives in the same town. So I was actually at my sister's house with both of my folks. And so I was in a separate room, a little nervous because I had no idea where I was going to get drafted. So I didn't want people coming up to me like every five, 10 minutes, like, when are you going? When are you going? So uh, I'm actually in the room and, you know, there's like a TV delay. So the Titans called me. I'm actually on the phone with the GM. And then I guess a minute or two later, they're announcing on TV. And so my mom, like, and my dad bust in the room, like, Yo, Tank, you just got drafted. I'm like, I know. Right now. And so that was a really cool moment because then after I hopped off the phone, I was able to celebrate just with, you know, my mom, and my dad, personally, just like the three of us. And then after that, uh, go to my folks house and then celebrate with my extended family. And so it was amazing dream where, you know, I'm like a small kid from Mississippi. I always grew up admiring Jerry Rice. He went to the same college as my parents, but I never thought that I'd play in the NFL. And so to be able to kind of go to Stanford, get a great uh, education there and then uh, accomplish a dream that I never really thought I had the opportunity to do. And that's playing the NFL. It was a uh, pretty special and still a pretty special moment for me. Wow. That's beautiful, man. And I, I love asking this question since we, we are kind of sticking on the, the theme of mindset here, but again, whether if it was in your, your collegiate career or NFL career, when you look back at your career, what do you think, is your biggest mental win and what is your biggest mental fail? Um, I think my biggest mental fail is sometimes you have to take chances. Um, I was a player who loved to watch film, understand what the opposing team was trying to do to me. Um, but at the same time, I didn't want to do too much. And I think when you look at a lot of the great players who play the game, whether it's like guys like, Ed Reed, you know, who's known for being a ball hawk. And, you know, I feel like, you know, my football IQ was just right up there with those types of guys, but I just didn't take as many chances. And I can recall like, like a couple plays in particular where like I did a bunch of the film study going into the game. I see the formation come up and I'm like, man, I think this is going to be the play. <laughs> and they end up running the play. And instead of just like jumping it, you, you're just like a little too apprehensive. And then you just end up breaking the play. Uh, breaking it up and, you know, end up being an incompletion versus like making a splash play where you uh, pick it off and running for a touchdown. So I would say that my one regret is knowing that I'm prepared, but not taking advantage of the opportunity. And I've tried to learn from those mistakes that happened when I was playing ball and make sure I don't make the same mistakes in my professional life uh, in uh, life after football. And I think as far as like the best decision was the, would you say the best decision I've made? Just like either mental, like mental win, like where mental you, win. you, you just, uh, you were locked in the moment and you didn't let whatever the situation or the game or anybody that uh, distracts you, you just stayed in the moment and did your job. Um, I mean, I think one game in particular that I was locked in, uh, my most memorable game was a Monday night football game. We played green Bay and, 
I'm from a small town in uh, Mississippi, and actually Brett Favre went to my rival high school. Oh, my dad coached against Brett Favre. Uh, my dad was my high school, like he was the coach at my local high school, and Brett's dad was the coach at like the rival high school. Brett was the quarterback at that time. Obviously, he's a lot older than I am. And so to have the opportunity to play against Brett on Monday Night Football where everyone from my area is like watching us, and I actually picked them off on um, – one play and I think I scooped up a fumble or something like that on another one. I was like on the Madden horse trailer, like when Madden was <laughs> calling the games. And so like me and two other guys were on the horse trailer. And so I think that was one of those games where, you know, I was locked in the entire week, understanding what they were going to do in the game. That was actually a situation where I saw the play coming and I shot my shot and I actually jumped the route and I had the interception in that game. So that's like, how you can just look at the pole opposite where like in that situation where it's a memorable time in the game for me from when I was locked in, it was focused. It's not about not knowing what I was doing or knowing what I was doing. It was taking the chance, like that calculated yeah. risk and actually taking advantage of it versus like understanding what's coming to me and then not shooting my gun, not making that, not taking the risk and then losing out on like the ultimate reward. Right. It's, it's, it's like ultimate trust in the moment. You're just like, and also when you see it, like since you prepared for it, you see it in slow motion, but it's actually really yeah. fast, but it's a slow motion, but then you, but you trust yourself. And that to me is, um, they call it the zone, they call it flow, call it whatever you want to call it. But it, it's such a beautiful feeling where you, when you trust yourself and it's risky, but it all works at the end. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, and I think, um, and it's hard to replicate that feeling outside of ball. Uh, but there have been like some moments like post NFL, like because I, I've dabbled in a whole bunch of stuff, whether it's like developing real estate and, you know, managing my investment portfolio and working in commercial real estate and all that. And there's been like a couple of projects that I worked on or a couple of trades that I've made where, you know, I've put in the work, I've done the due diligence and whether it's like a real estate property where it takes about a year to purchase the property, kind of tear it down, rebuild it, hit the market at the right time and sell it for an outcome that you were expecting or doing due diligence on the stock and buying in at the right price. And then, you know, seeing that, you know, the hard work, the due diligence that you put in and you know, the anticipation of what you think the stock is going to do based on like the news that was coming out and actually like materializes, like those are really good wins that make you feel good because it's like all about the preparation that you put in in order to kind of reach this outcome. And so those things are similar, but still at the same time, you don't have like, you know, tens of thousands of people cheering you while you're doing that. So it's a little bit different. <laughs> right. Totally. Well, and before we, we get into transitioning out of sport into what you do now, um, I, it's funny because I, I talked to you before the show, how I have another show with Jake Plummer. Mm -hmm. And when we bring on, you know, quarterbacks and, and quarterback coaches, we talk about the feel of, when you're rolling out and you throw the perfect pass, it's at the corner, you drop a dime or you spin it, in, you know, in, in a tight pocket, there's this feeling as a quarterback. Like, so we always talk about the words that come up. So you playing on the other side of the ball, playing defense, when you light somebody up or you have perfect form and you just light somebody up, how would you describe that feeling? Oh, it's um I don't know if I can I mean it's just because I mean that was one of my favorite things to do is like diagnose a play 
and then just come down full steam ahead. And you can't hit guys in the NFL right. <laughs> like we used to back in those days. And so like I was known for like laying the hammer on folks. And when you run through someone and instead of it being like this big collision, even though it is, it almost feels like you just slicing through butter because I mean, you just, I mean, it's just that perfect mesh and just being able to run through someone and, it's like the culmination of being in the right place, right time, which means that you understood what the team was trying to do to you. You executed, and it was like a splash play, and everyone wants to make those splash plays. And so, I mean, to have that feeling like where you just have that self-validation that you did everything right, that play, and it was on display for everyone in the stadium, everyone watching on TV, like, man, that's just a crazy feeling that, I mean, a lot of guys go on years after they retire trying to, you know, find that feeling again. And it's totally. like we just talked about, it's, it's really hard to replicate. Totally. <laughs> and, and I, and I totally feel it when you say butter, because sometimes like you're, because you're putting so much force, yeah. especially at the NFL level. I mean, there's bigger people, faster people. Um, so I can only imagine what that, that would feel like. I think for me, um, especially when, when I throw a beautiful pass, it's like this smooth exhilaration, this you know, joy, just like, but there's a connection. And I know at the core of me, what, and it's hard for me to explain, I can only imagine it's the same thing for you. It's like at the core of you, you know exactly what you feel like when you just completely lay somebody out with perfect form. Yeah, because it's like one of those things where you just dialed into your game and it's like, I'm going to definitely like, I'm going to put my fingerprint on this game because there's nothing that they can do to me in the run or pass game that I cannot stop. And that's how it feels for us. But I mean, I imagine for a quarterback, it has to be similar to like basketball players. When you see them get in the zone where it's like a oh, yeah. Steph Curry or someone like that, that just can't miss from the three or something like that. Like, you know, I played quarterback in high school, but I didn't have an arm like anybody that could play quarterback in college. And so I can only imagine like being dialed in where you're reading defenses, you know what the defense is trying to do to you. You throw into the right receivers and every ball is a dime. Like, I mean, that has to be like an unbelievable feeling. And we all have our ways to kind of get in the zone. But I think one thing that all that speaks to is that whether it's like someone shooting like Steph Curry shooting threes or you throwing perfect passes or me diagnosing plays that the offense is trying to do to me. It's everything that we did up until that point that prepared us for that moment. And so that's why we were able to execute without that preparation before that wouldn't happen. Total a hundred percent. I mean, you're, you're preaching the gospel there, man. And, and because you just shared that I'm just out of curiosity, did you have a routine uh, before you played like, to get you locked in? Is there certain things that you did in, in the locker room or is there certain things that you put on like, you know, wristband, whatever it is, tape, writing stuff. Was there a routine that you followed? I mean, well, my former teammates would say that I was probably like the worst dressed cat on the field. It looked like <laughs> I was, it looked like I played back in the seventies or something like that, the way I looked at my uniform. I mean, but I will say that I was a creature of habit. Like I had like a similar playlist that I would listen to every time. And like I would go up and I would do like my same individual warm up before each and every game. And whenever I would like go out on the field, like, you know, we'll have like, the, um, you know, we listen to the national anthem and they'll have the flyover. And like, I would always stand on the same yard line and kind of do the same thing. And so, I mean, I think we're creatures of habits and especially like when we have success doing something, it's kind of easy to kind of, you know, continue on that path. And so there's definitely like that mindset I had to where I wanted to kind of stay locked and stay loaded and not have too much of a departure for what, you know, I was accustomed to doing because I felt like it benefited me. 
Totally. Absolutely. I know, I know for me, man, as soon as I put my towel, right when I put it in my pants and I saw, and I looked myself in the mirror, it was like, I don't know, the Rocky song came right. on. I was like, yep. It's like, here it is. You know? Yeah. Party it, boy time. Ex- exactly. <laughs> and I had done that since pop Warner all the way through college. And it was like, I don't know. It just got to a point. It got stronger and stronger. The more that I did it, it's like, it, it, it meant something to me. And if I didn't have a chance, I don't think it ever happened for the most part, but it, it meant a lot to me to finish that part of the routine, to see myself completely like dialed in. But that, that towel, that was, I don't know if that was a symbol of me being a quarterback, but mm-hmm. it just locked me in. Like one thing that actually reminds me of too. And like, this is probably more of a kind of decisive moment. Like we had like little mirrors in, um, it was either like in our locker or I would go and I'd throw on my shoulder pads like in the bathroom. And it was always one of those things where I kind of felt normal and kind of myself. And I can recall now like throwing my shoulder pads over my head. And it was like, as soon as my pads came over my head and then I kind of strapped them up, it was like you turn into a whole like different person. Yeah. Like you locked in this like game mode at that time. And like, that was something that just kind of came back to me that I really hadn't thought about before. But that's one of those other things where you just kind of lock in and like everything that you put into that week is just kind of set at that moment. And then it's just go. It's the switch is what I call it. And the switch could be, it could be putting that towel on, putting the pads on or stepping on the green grass or, you know, hitting play like champions today, whatever that's, it's that switch. Mm -hmm. I think once you can develop it and understand what that switch is, that's when you learn how to, you let go of who you are and you become this athlete. It's what you do. Right. And it's that switch of being, I call it the warrior mindset, how we switch into it. And mm-hmm. that physical thing is, um, it's powerful, super powerful. So before we get into talking a little bit about what you're doing now and, and how your athletic background, um, your experience has helped you transition into an entrepreneur. I, I, I want to throw this out there just because obviously we're living this pandemic, especially you and I being in California, you know, sports have been um, non-existent uh, for the most part. Considering all the mental health issues that are arising at high school at the collegiate level, um, if you were playing today in high school or even college, how would you deal with, with this time? You know, that's pretty interesting uh, because you have to actually like rewind and try to think about what your mindset was like yeah. uh, in college. Um, I mean, I think back then I would have probably just continued on with my routine, whether it's like just kind of focusing on what I could do on a daily basis. And that's going and getting my workouts in and whether it's like with teammates or by myself getting drills in, making sure I'm up to speed on tape and things like that. And if I'm in summer school, making sure I'm on top of my studies and just handling and controlling everything that I can control. And I feel like that's basically like what we're doing during this time as well. But uh, when I look at it from the perspective that I have now, um, whether you feel like you're managing this time right or not, I believe, especially being an athlete and with so much on your plate, it helps to be able to talk to someone. I mean, I think mental health uh, is definitely uh, important. And I think there's a lot of people who have had success from uh, being able to have conversation with folks, whether it's like serious issues that they're dealing with or just confidence issues when it comes to sports. And I believe like that, you know, they're, 
I think in the past there was always like the stigma around like being able to talk to people or having doubts and stuff like that. And you've seen like a lot of professional athletes come out and say, whether it was Dak Prescott or some other guys said that they've had, you know, issues, whether it's battling with depression or things like that. And being able to have someone that you can lean on, kind of help you talk through those uh, issues, scenarios and come out a stronger person from it. And I think that, most importantly, like people having that comfort level to be able to kind of look within, understand where there may be some deficiencies in their life and not feel bad about asking for help. And that's with anything that you have going on in life. And I think especially when you deal in times like this, that's when you should be even more proactive to go out there and seek those resources if you feel like you need assistance with something. Yeah, I 100% I agree with everything you're saying. And it's funny when you were talking about like yourself, like if if you were today, how to deal with this, uh, what I heard is that you just still stay, stay connected to your craft and still, you know, control the things that you can control. And I share this a lot with athletes and teams and coaches is that this is the time where you stay connected to your craft. And this is where you connect with people that feed you and you feed them as well. Cause if we can still stay within our routine and, and still honing on our craft, what we're doing is we're doing all this hard work in the dark so we can shine the light. So when it is time for us to play, we get the green light, then we're not going backwards or going forwards. We're staying ahead of the curve. And, but I've seen a lot of athletes and, and we're living in a very fear-based world right now. So a lot of this stuff is, is paralyzing athletes and coaches, but, but you're right. People, they need to feel vulnerable. They need to show up. And, and I, I don't take credit for this, but my, my mentor talks about this, this phrase he uses, victory goes to the vulnerable. There's so much victory when you open up, when you can actually go talk to somebody and share something. It's not weak. It's actually pretty strong. So I think, you know, with what you're saying, I echo what you're saying is that we, we need it. It's okay for us to talk about how we're feeling, even if it's shitty. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with that. hundred uh, percent wholeheartedly. Totally. Totally. So let's get into what you're doing now. You know, um, I have to say this because not too long ago, I had your, I had your wife on the show and mm-hmm. And it's so funny that when she started talking about her company, there was a shift. Like she got really excited mm-hmm. when I had Drew Bledsoe on my show and he was talking about, you know, transitioning into a winemaker. There was this shift. When I started talking to Jake Plummer about what he's doing, there was this shift. Like, do you feel like with all the things that you've learned as an athlete, and we'll talk about some of those attributes. Do you, when you start talking about being an entrepreneur and all the things that you're doing right now, like, cause I know you're doing a couple different things. Yeah. Do you feel that there's this, like this shift, this light, um, this spark, there you go. That's, that, that's probably a better yeah. word for it. Yeah. I, I believe there's definitely a spark because, um, the one thing that I've been able to do, even though I've kind of dabbled in a lot of the things is it's, there are things that I'm passionate about that I care about that I don't mind waking up early in the morning and researching on reading about to make sure that you know I'm up to speed on everything that's going on and um, I believe like when you speak to my wife about her granola company like that's her baby and so <laughs> she's going to invest as much time as possible into that uh, in order to see it grow and so she can see the fruits of her labor and like you can hear that and you can see that in her energy and in her voice yeah. and and I feel like you know it's 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 tough to find something that um 
I was as passionate about as football because my dad was a football coach. I played football from the age of six all the way up until I retired. And then I didn't get to end my career on my terms. And so um, for a time, it was like I, I didn't watch the NFL. Like I was far removed from the game. And, you know, when you come, you finish your career in 2009. So it's at the, you know, during like a recession at the same time. Right. You have no work experience besides playing football. So, you know, there's a lot that can be stacked up against you. But at the same time, you go back to that mindset where it's just like, you know, I'm going to control what I can control. And I was able to kind of network myself uh, into uh, I back end into the Stanford network. And I got uh, hooked up with like a commercial real estate firm. And instead of trying to demand someone pay me, you know, I'm a former Stanford guy. I used to play in the NFL. Like you owe me this, you owe me that. Like, Hey, I'll come work with you guys for free. This is something I'm interested in. Let me prove my worth. And then hopefully, uh, one day, you know, I can start getting paid. And that's how I started off as an unpaid intern. And I worked my way up into being a vice president until I kind of branched off and started my own residential development company. And so I think that's one of those things where the carryover from sports was definitely applicable to um, life after ball, where it's like you have to prove yourself that, you know, you belong and that you can execute and that you can produce. And the only way you can do that is the preparation and the time that you put in leading up into that moment to where you can actually show that you can actually like show the fruits of your labor. And so, you know, it's one of those things where um, I can't say that I'm as passionate about like the commercial real estate as I was about football, but then I started my own residential development company and it was like something like I'm starting my own thing. And so I was passionate about that. Uh, and what actually drew me back into football was, you know, my boys from college wrote me into playing fantasy football. And so um, I started playing fantasy. I got roped into like being a fantasy football analyst for Yahoo. Uh, and so I started off the same way I started my commercial real estate career where like, all right, I'm just coming do the show for free, show that, you know, I know what I'm talking about. I'm belong. I can be entertaining. I can, you know, be informative to the fans and the consumers. And then I kind of parlay that into like a five, six, seven year stint with Yahoo, where I cover, you know, NFL, fantasy football, college football, everything in between. And on top of that, you know, I've been really, you know, interested in learning about companies, investing in my own stock portfolio. And so it's one of those things where I wake up early in the morning each and every day reading up on companies, reading up on stocks, trying to judge which way the momentum in the market is going on a particular day and trying to make sure that, you know, I use the same approach as far as like due diligence and taking care of, uh, you know, noticing trends in the market and making sure that instead of being a little bit too shy that, you know, I'm, I'm informed, but when I see an opportunity that I'm going to take advantage of it versus just kind of sitting on my hands. And so that's things where, you know, I've kind of learned all those things through ball, but then it's applicable to all the various ventures that I've uh, explored in life after football. You know, I have tons of questions here, but since you are heavy in the stocks, you have, do you have any advice on a, on a hot stock right now? <laughs> actually um you know i've been really interested in the vaccine stocks because you know i'm looking forward to being able to travel go see my family back in mississippi whenever i want to like the last time i visited my parents it was before the season started and i actually drove cross country with my wife and so we made that drive to mississippi because i didn't want to compromise my parents helping that health and then i ended up flying back here to california right. and so um you know, 
I advise everyone, you know, to try to take the vaccine. I mean, it's amazing how quickly that we rolled the vaccines out. Uh, the only thing I feel about like the early round of vaccines is that they'll probably limit the symptoms that you have if you were to contract COVID, but mm -hmm. I don't know if they actually prevent you from contracting it and transmitting it to other folks. But I'm really high on some of these second generation vaccines that may create a mucosal response that actually prevents you from getting COVID and transmitting to other folks. And one of them actually comes in a pill form. And so I'm hopeful that a lot of people in the U.S. and around the world will hear about this one small company in San Francisco called Vaxart in the next month or two. And if you do, that means that their data coming out from their phase one trial should be really good. And then at the same time, that means that hopefully us as a nation and us as a world will be a lot closer to getting back to some sense of normalcy because instead of having to ship out vaccines and cold chain where, you know, it kind of limits the, you know, more to do countries that have a lot of access to capital to getting the vaccines. This would be vaccines that you can ship to, you know, Africa and all these other places that may not have the cold chain storage that we will have in like the U.S. and the U.K. and stuff like that reach that herd immunity. So whereas, you know, us as a world can get back to normal. So that's uh, what I'm hoping on. I love it, man. Yeah. I, and I love it too, because it just seems like it's um, the approach streamlines it and gets it, it's faster and quicker to people. And it seems like obviously to vaccinate all these people, there's, you got to have an approach, you have a plan in place, but I think storing it is kind of, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but storing it and having all the cold storage is kind of throwing a curveball and making sure that they can time all this and, right. and get it out to the right people. Whereas if you had a pill, yeah, if you have a room temperature stable pill, I mean, it's easy to ship, it's easy to store, it has like a long shelf life. And so uh, that would be our quickest uh, way to herd immunity, where we'd be able to have enough people vaccinated. And at the same time, too, I mean, we've all had like our vaccination shots. But I feel that, you know, the vast majority of the people, as long as that they know that the company and the and the vaccine has been, you know, truly vetted and it's safe, they'll much rather take a pill versus getting a shot for a vaccine, especially when you think about adults, kids, and everything else. So right. um, hopefully that's something that we can get handled, whether it's that company that I talked about or some of these other ones that are coming along with other vaccines. I mean, I think the most important thing is just kind of getting back to that sense of connectivity, that sense of community. Like it's, you know, we live in strange times right now where there's like so much divisiveness and stuff like that. And it's kind of easy to continue to feed into that because everyone's just kind of bunkered down and hunkered into their own like little shells right now because we can't really go out <laughs> and, uh, you know, commune with other folks. And so getting back to that sense where we can kind of hug each other, get intimate with each other and try to build back that human connectivity. I think that would go a long way to kind of getting everyone back to where we need to be as a people, as a society. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And it's, to me, I feel like, um, as humans were put on this earth to, to connect and create community, um, and also solve problems too. But I think that's, that's the main thing. That's, that's how we move in the world. We connect. And, um, and so I'm with you on that, you know, whatever the new normal is going to be, whatever that is, as long as that we can go outside and we can connect, we can really communicate and um, that's what I'm looking for. So I'm with you on that, um, man. I can talk to you for days, man. There's so many <laughs> other questions I want to uh, throw at you, but you know, before I wrap up here, I love this question about reflection. And so when you think about you reflecting on your career as a football player and also as an entrepreneur, 
What do you think you've learned the most about yourself? Um, I think the one thing that I've learned is that um, probably that whatever you think you can't handle, you probably can. Mm. Um, like whether it's like dealing with injuries or adversity as far as like not getting scholarships or you know dealing with adversity whether it's like some issue that may come up with your job or people deal with adversity in their relationships and it's just one of those things where understanding that anything that comes on your plate if you're willing to handle it and put in the time to kind of actually understand what's going on and try to resolve it to the best of your ability and and then not only just kind of sit and just kind of weigh yourself down with it but actually take care of an issue and then move forward and move beyond it and and then come out of it as a better person as a better man than you went into it before um i think that is key and so i mean i think a lot of what i've talked about here today is like being able to deal with adversity and come out of it better than what you went in and i think as long as you have that mindset you should be able to um thrive with thrive out of any issue that may be uh put in your way in life totally man i'm a huge proponent of you know when it comes to adversity because i had to deal with a lot of it life after football for myself but where there's a crisis there's an opportunity but you have to allow yourself to see the opportunity Mm -hmm. um and so and, and for you like talking talking about all the things you had to go through you can tell that like since you're a competitor right you're not going to give up so moving through it um, it's really cool to, to hear your, your story and, and how you think, um, especially at elite level. It's awesome. Um, how can my, my listeners connect with you, follow you, learn more about, you know, fantasy football, if you will. Yeah. Um, so my handles on social media is at tank Williams 13. I promise I'm going to be better. I kind of went into like a hermit <laughs> uh, cave uh the, the middle part of uh 2020 just kind of stand off of social media and i think it's one of those things that we talked about you just kind of sometimes have to get away from everything and just yeah self-care and just kind of take care of yourself take care of the ones around you but like i'm trying to come out of my shell now and so <laughs> you'll see more of me on ig or twitter and stuff like that you know i love yucking it up whether it's about you know, sports uh, and everything else in between my favorite TV shows. Uh, so, yeah, you can follow me there and uh, hopefully uh, we can have a couple of laughs and whatever it is to try to hopefully, you know, kind of take each take care of each other and kind of, you know, placate to each other until we uh, get back to normal. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. Uh, Tank, man, thank you so much for sharing your journey, your mindset, your passion, man. It's um, it, it, it was an honor to have you on the show, and I know my my listeners are going to enjoy it. So thank you again for being on the show today. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks again uh, for having me on. It was a pleasure just kind of going back and recount a lot of uh, memories that, you know, I really haven't really thought about too much uh, in my past football career and everything else. So a pleasure talking ball with you. Look forward to doing it again. All right.